Okay, let's roll straight in. Okay. Well, hi ho Hello. Do you know... Oh, this again. Sorry, I know. God, I can't. You just freak me out. I'm not trying to do that. Um, One day I'll get Sandra Sully in to go, hello. <laughs> <laughs> just, just for like five seconds. That's enough. Thank you, Sandra. Because, you know... Someone with a genuinely sultry voice needs to really, or maybe just Kate Blanchett. Do you think she'd come in just to say, hello, <laughs> on Solange. our podcast? Solange. <laughs> oh, um, I don't think I've talked about it on the pod because I think we'd finished recording by the time I saw it. Mm-hmm. I went to see the picture of Dorian Gray at the Sydney Theatre Company. Oh. Speaking of thespians yeah. and actors. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, I told you. Didn't I tell it you? It was so good. Yeah. I don't think it's on now, sadly, but one would hope oh, man, that, show that, that is going to be touring. It's got one person in it. so It should be touring internationally. It was world class. Erin um, Jean Norville as Dorian Gray. And 18 other characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there are 24 characters that she plays in all. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's actually, I feel like I don't want to even have it try to explain how it works other than to say it is the most creative and brilliant bit of imagining how to bring a novel to the stage that I have seen probably ever. It was unbelievable. Wow. And her performance was just an absolute marvel. I could not believe that she could execute it. The most complicated um, role I've ever seen on stage, I reckon, without a doubt. And also, like, got a props to Kip Williams who um, wrote it. Like, imagine, you know... Imagine adapting Oscar Wilde for, oh, the, for the for the stage. I mean, you know, so that, daunting. it was a novel, it wasn't a play. So it's a great. Just like, oh, just uh, sit, settle down with this book and turn it into a Wildean play. Let's Look, see how great, we go. It's a great play. Um, sorry, it's a great book mm. um, and it's a great story. And it just reminded me how often great bits of art they always seem to stay relevant and contemporary. Yeah. You know, if you just sort of, you can find ways to tell them and it just makes them still so completely relevant. And uh, that for me, it just it just felt so relevant to today. Um, it was great. Absolutely. Well, I think I would be super confident that that would go on the road somewhere because it's also the sort of thing that any incredible actor of their generation oh. would, would love to have a crack at. Like, Totally. You could take it to any it, it, the, place and it, you'd find some genius willing to take it on. Probably a bit like doing Aaron Burr. You'd also be a bit like, oh, God, yeah, this want to screw is it up. hard yeah. stuff. Um, anyway, it was it was bloody great. Well, you're welcome. Now, I did um, something over summer, which is not my usual thing, which mm-hmm. is I listened to three audiobooks. You've okay. probably heard me bang on before about audiobooks because it's the kind of thing I do love to bang on about, mm. which is I just feel like it's not reading. So I don't tend to listen to audiobooks. Right. So your objection is it's a sort of a productivity issue. You don't feel like you're putting the work in. No, I just, I just, I think it's an activity. I just think it's not reading. Um, mm. And so I feel, and when I've tried it, you might remember when I tr- had a stab at it and I asked a friend to recommend what would be the gateway drug to doing audiobooks. Mm. She said Brideshead Revisited, narrated by Jeremy Irons. Okay. And then I used Jeremy Irons as a sleep aid. Do you remember that? <laughs> Oh, my God, I do remember that. Every now and again you mention something that just fills me with trickles of horror. And I think were some were some inappropriate things said about Jeremy Irons. In no, the, in the... I don't believe so. But it was just that I, I found what happens is my mind starts wandering and mm. then I'm not paying attention. When and Jeremy when it's an incredible voice like Jeremy Irons, it just soothes me off to sleep. Okay. And so It's probably not the, like... It's probably not the aim. It's not the aim. But so what I would do is just play the audiobook for eight hours and just have Jeremy Irons talk to me all night and I was sleeping oh like a baby. God. <laughs> so 
like people who use sort of whale rooting soundtracks <laughs> to get to sleep. Now, if the whale could just read, you know, Catcher in the Rye, that'd be marvellous. My problem with audiobooks is, and uh, the only audiobook that I've ever listened to, I think this is true, the only one I've ever listened to is the audiobook version of the Alan Clark Diaries. Oh, like, was about, it read by Alan Clark? Or who read it? Read by... Stephen Fry? Bits of it, well, I think were, it was read by his son, actually. Right. Um, but I think that maybe I really enjoyed that because I had already read that book. Yes. And those books um, an embarrassing number of times. So um, my problem with audiobooks is that I think when I read, because I've got a shocking, like, I've got a, a wandering attention span. Same. Sometimes I'll wander off and I'll something will just make me wonder about something and then I'll spend 30 seconds just sort of, um, considering something or, you know, or worrying about something that I'm worried about or whatever, and then I'll go, oh, and then I'll go back and write, okay, let's remount this pony and keep going. But the problem is that if you're listening to an audio book, and I only would ever do that if I'm driving, then I'm not going to go like, oh, scroll, scroll, scroll back yeah. again and have a car accident. Yeah. And, you know, um, if I'm kind of exercising or something, which I can, as of the last few months, actually use as an instance, um, I don't want to, like, stop and, you know, yeah. get my phone out and go back. And then I feel like, oh, shit, I've got dismounted from this story and yeah. then I'll spend 30 seconds worrying about, but what happened before? Should yeah. I stop and go back? And then I'm like, ah. That's exactly my problem with um, doing, a, doing a novel. But what I, what I decided I was going to do was I had seen a bit of buzz around Matthew McConaughey's memoir, Green, Green Lights. Right. Green Lights. This is where he's... All right, all right, all right. Um, and I, he did this Instagram thing where he asked people to do impersonations of him and it was God. so funny and he, I, I just have always liked him. He seems, he's just the kind of person I like, which is weird, marches to the beat of his own drum, um, but also just seems funny and sort of likeable mm -hmm. and charming. Anyway, he, and I love the way that he speaks with that southern accent. So sure. I had read a bit about it and then saw this stuff that he was doing and I thought, you know what, I'm going to download that as an audio book because it won't really matter if my attention wanders because it's going to be anecdotal because it's just a memoir. Um, so it's not like a novel where I've got to hold all the threads right, yep. all at once. Yep. And then I just, I think it will probably benefit from, I'm sure he can probably write okay, but it's definitely going to benefit from being read in his voice. Right. <laughs> oh God. It it was probably my favourite cultural experience oh, wow. over summer. Yeah, it was Great. Oh, oh my gosh. That's he's, not what I was expecting you to say at all. He's actually a pretty good writer, and but the d delivery is what makes it. I don't oh. reckon I stopped smiling the entire time and then I would periodically be just really laughing. Um, he's just a very strange and interesting person. And now I seem to remember, yeah, I, I remember reading an article or an account of an interview with him where the thing about the book is that it's, like he's had a super tough childhood or something, right? It, yeah, like, he it, just a really strange sort of childhood with parents who were quite physically violent and, and they split up like three times or so and kept right. getting back together. Like a really strange sort of family environment but also that he just really loved them and was sort of close to both of them. Right, okay. Um, and uh, just just he's got a – he's kept journals for his entire life. So wow, he's mined them okay. for all this stuff. And he's, that is useful. Must start doing that. Never will. Okay. And he's um, he's got a good, you know, good eye for an anecdote and so it's full of funny sort of things. The, the two bits that – I mean, look, there were many bits that, that I found hilarious and riveting, but the two bits that I loved – 
It's worth the price of admission for Australian listeners to hear the chapter, which is the account of him coming to Australia as an exchange student when he's 18. Oh, really? Um, It is hilarious. And he has a terrible, he stays with this terrible family. Oh, no, who are now really listening to it on audio (laughs) book while jogging and going like, oh, my God, that's Matthew. (laughs) And he's clearly, he's, I think... McConaughey's got a pretty good grip on Australian so Australianisms and he does some pretty good Australian accents. And anyway, oh it's God. very, very funny. How do we as a nation come out of it? As a nation, we come out of it pretty well, but this particular family comes out of it not quite so well. But, um, oh, man, it's funny. And then there's also, I don't know if you remember in the news, it was probably about 15 years ago now, he got arrested one time and he was playing his bongo drums naked and smoking a joint. Do okay. you remember that story? No, I just followed it with the rest of those sorts of stories about star found nude with bongo <laughs> drums. There's too many of them. It's like So he refused to, he got arrested like in the nude and he refused to put clothes on. And he Excellent tells, man. And okay. he tells this story and he explains, and, you know, it's really actually when he explains it quite logical why he refused to put clothes on and about the violation of his rights and blah blah anyway it's bloody funny and then of course it's peppered with all of the anecdotes about you know films and different things he's done and people that he's worked oh, with you're and, such an absolute slapper for that sort of oh, thing oh i just i you're do like love a pe- it. you're like an elephant looking for peanuts at the zoo but he goes off like he does he's the sort of person who does things like he goes off and lives in um on a um native american um land with them like when he's really famous, he just goes and lives there with them and then they, they by the end of it, they think he's like their brother and they give him the gift of a, like a canoe paddle when he leaves and it's just like the, they protect him from the paparazzi. Like he's just – and it, there's lots of bits too where he sort of goes into – you know, he'll be in some small town somewhere shooting a film and so he just goes to the bar and befriends whoever's in there and then and then he recounts in great detail, you know, Sally Ann had just split from her husband but Bob was this and that and anyway, he's a very unique um, unit. Um, he, like he talks also about when he was at school, he used to drive in the final year of high school, drive a pickup truck to school that had a megaphone attached to the front of it mm-hmm. and he used to sit in the car park commentating as everybody arrived Um, and he said he'd just be sort of leaning on the truck saying um, when you look at the jeans on Sharon Peterson today she is looking smoking (laughs) Mr. Mr. Smith nice tie today you are looking fine (laughs) just keep up a running commentary what I would love is a postscript to the audiobook which is just short interviews with Sharon and Mr Peterson and because like that kind of kid is like either well you're either going to be a global megastar or in jail by the time you're 19. Totally and you can only imagine he would have been unbelievably good looking yeah, sure. and you mm. know so he was and he was I think he says in the thing that he was Mr Congeniality sure. or whatever at high school. Mr so, Nude with Bongos. Yeah everyone found him hilarious. Did I see something look and I may have got the wrong guy because but wasn't there some story about him kind of getting a bit uppity in some interview where he was being asked about his family history and he said, I don't want to talk about it? I um, can't remember. No, okay. sure. Maybe I'm barking up the wrong sapling. Um, but I listened to two other audiobooks. Straight off the back of that, I listened to Blowing the Bloody Doors Off by Michael Caine, which I've read before. Um, but I just decided I'd enjoy him reading it. Yeah, him reading it. Just because I'd heard a bit of it on BBC Radio one time and it was so great that I had thought... I must go and listen to the whole thing of Michael Caine reading because it's just such a pleasure hearing Michael Caine reading it. And then off the back of that, I watched actually the film Alfie because I'd never seen it. Have wow. you seen it? Um, yeah, I have, but not for years and oh years. Oh, my God, it is so dark. It was not <laughs> what I expected at all. Well, I mean, the Michael Caine oeuvre is like famously broad, right? Like he'll yeah. officially do any movie. And I love his attitude to that. I remember in an interview... 
was a print interview. I can't remember where. Or did once... I tell you on this podcast? Yeah, I, 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 bet you, I bet you're about to, sell, to say something that I've told you. Oh, yeah. my God. Now yeah. I feel full of trepidation. Is it about his mother's house? No. Oh, okay. Oh, maybe it is. I don't know. He was just basically saying, well, I get paid money to do movies and, you know. Um, yeah. He's, he's I'll just take the money. Yeah, his attitude, he was t- tells the anecdote of, I think, doing Jaws 3 and some, some interviewers said to him, oh, Michael, you know, like, what were you thinking? That was really bad. And he was like, yeah, it, it was really bad. But have you seen the house it bought for my mother? Because it's fantastic. <laughs> oh, how humiliating. Yes. Anyway, my, Alfie. Uh, what did, I'm, just, I'm just crediting you for that anecdote because <laughs> now I realise definitely that was something that you told me. Um, but Alfie, Alfie so... Dark, and I was watching it thinking, is Alfie, is he representative of men's attitudes in the 1960s or was he a bounder even by 1960s standards? I couldn't <laughs> sort of tell. But also it it helped me. Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery is one of my favourite comedies and it fleshed out for me a ton of references in that, including this scene where Michael Caine's running at the beach and he's sort of flinging his legs out sideways. He's wearing a suit. He looks ridiculously awkward. And Mike Myers has basically mined the exact run in a scene with Austin Powers. I what Michael Caine thinks of that. Well, he was in Austin Powers, um, I think the third Austin Powers, oh, as God, Austin I'd run Powers' out of father. By that stage. <laughs> <laughs> so you can assume that he's he plays... given a Godfather-style blessing to the entire enterprise. Yeah, exactly. Or um, they just paid him a shitload of money. And then I've just, just for old times' sake, because I was missing Jeremy Irons, I re-listened to, I would well, not re-listened, listened for the first time to Lolita. Oh my God, that's yeah. quite. The... Which is read by Jeremy Irons. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's not one you'd want to creepily fall asleep to, really, is it? Oh <laughs> no. Yeah. And in fact, I. I'm only about two thirds through. I'm not sure if I'm going to listen to the end. I mean, you know, look, it's and you know, before anyone gets worried, we're not going to talk about the content of it. Um, I was thinking as I started listening to it because it's just so confronting. Jeez, oh, you know, why hasn't this been cancelled in the in the whole sort of cancel culture era? Because it's always been problematic. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's it was not like cancelled. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> it's it's always been um, a real problem. But you know, nonetheless, an amazing piece of writing. And Jeremy Irons' reading is his voice. My God, it's like this yeah. languid, evil, oh God, self-deprecating, so evil, so evil oh, and hot man. It's it is an it's wrong, incredible wrong, wrong. voice. I was reading um, a book you gave me, actually, um, which is Inside Story by Martin Amos um, over the holidays. And he writes, well, he circles back constantly to Nabokov. And um, he wrote either in that book or in another essay, I can't remember which, um, he said that um, Nabokov's writing was like after Ada, it really became a bit unreadable because the creepiness about young women was just getting just out of control and not really um, balanced by, um, you know, artistic merit to the extent that you would kind of give it a shot. Um, (laughs) But but that book, by the way, Amos's book, I found such an interesting mixed-up experience because it's kind of like a novelised account of Amos's life. So he's got the – he can write about – all of his relationships with the kind of thin cover that this is a fiction, this is like written like a novel, but it is, you know, based on things that have actually happened to him. Right. Which is, I guess, a really sneaky, when you're that famous, maybe you can just get around that whole thing of blowing up your whole life by just pretending that it's a bit fictional. Mm. Um, anyway, um, 
it reminded me of the things that I just really love about Martin, Martin Amos and also the things that really annoy me about him. One, one of which is, you know, his control of language is just extraordinary and um, his insight into the artistic lives of writers of his generation is pretty great since he was friends with um, some of them. But also it just really, there's just, you feel, I think, as a female reading Martin Amos that you kind of have got a spectator role on his life and brain, I think, because all of his important influences are all blokes and even his great loves seem to be blokes. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Ian McEwan's a mate of his who we were talking about in the last pod. And Julian Barnes and and all that crew. Christopher Hitchens is his main boyfriend. I mean, the, the... a child, the child in time, it, d- it did did have a tiny hint, and I just thought McEwen's authorial voice is somewhat mansplaining, <laughs> which I don't even know why I'm saying that. Like, I couldn't. If you said, "Well, what do you mean exactly?" I don't know. It just seems a little bit. There's a slight superiority to the tone, and it yeah. might just be that the execution of it of the writing is of such high quality that it seems superior when he's not intending to seem superior, but. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Totally. And um, the thing about Amos that I always feel is like he wants to be in a room full of really smart blokes talking about hot chicks. That's basically right. <laughs> that's basically what drives him right. Right. And um, the the interesting thing about um, the the book is that he talks about well, it's it's written about relationships that he's had and complicated affairs with women that he's had, and there's one that basically is. Nicola Six from London Fields, like, and she's this sort of um, hot, unattainable kind of um, bossy woman that he's completely captivated by. But she's sort of like a two-dimensional character. I mean, mm. it's really, it's really interesting. Anyway, I, I, I kind of love um, writers writing about their own lives because it helps you to picture some of the books that you've read. Yeah, and where where that sort of what they have mined for yeah. um, material. And because I haven't read really any Martin Amos novels for years after being passionately kind of into predominantly London Fields but some of his other work as well, it felt like a bit of a nostalgia tour. And then it was absolutely wonderful and then by about halfway through I thought, oh, Probably had about enough now. Oh, uh, interesting. Mm. Anyway, I did make it to the end. Um, right. And don't regret persisting. But a book that I read recently that you read last year and loved, and and when I was reading it, that I was thinking, mm, I wonder how much of this has come from her real life experience. Was Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason. Oh, yeah. Which I think a lot of people have been reading. I really enjoyed it. Um, I there was some. The, the sister, Ingrid, I thought was a brilliant character. Mm. I loved her. And the scene where she gives birth in the bathroom <laughs> yeah. was a comedy. The timing, I thought, was absolutely fantastic and hilarious. And I found myself laughing aloud quite a bit at different bits. This was one of the bits that really made me laugh. Um <clears throat> As a child, watching the news or listening to it on the radio with my father, I thought when they said the body was discovered by a man walking his dog that it was always the same man. I still imagine him putting his walking shoes on at the door, finding the leash, the familiar dread as he clips it onto the dog's (laughs) collar but still setting out regardless in the hope that today there won't be a body. But 20 minutes later, God, there it is. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I love about her. She's so kooky but so sharp at the same time. So you get this sort of, you've got this kind of, she reads like a writer with an anxious but hilarious mind, which is kind of what the 
principal character is. And um, I just thought it was highly original and full of, even though a lot of the material is quite dark, um, moments that just make you absolutely howl out loud with laughter. Yep. I had this funny experience, actually, after I read Sorrow and Bliss. I went and immediately sort of checked out what else she'd written and I found that I actually had a copy of an earlier book of hers called I'll Be Mother and um, that I hadn't read. Like, someone had sent it to me and I hadn't read it. And I think because the cover really put me off. It was sort of like, it looked like full chiclet material, like it had as like a cup of tea and sort of... Right. You know, light pastel colours. And I think I, I think it may have turned up with a sort of promotional kind of like a tea bag or something like that, which <laughs> oh, is one thing that hate. I really hate that the publishers do when they send out things, you know, going like, ooh, I think the reason I didn't read that George Saunders novel was because it came with a sprig oh. of plastic ivy. Yeah. And I thought, what? Why are we doing Lincoln and the Bardo with plastic ivy? Anyway, yeah. I've moaned about that before. Um, and I went back and really enjoyed it. And I thought, oh, how weird. I would have probably picked it up if it had had a... Goes to show cover. how one the cover right. is on these it's kind just of things. Sort of subliminal messaging because I thought, oh, this looks like a full chiclet novel that I don't want to read. Anyway, I read it and it was terrific. So there um, you go. I went back to two old favourites um, over summer. One which I've been holding on to and I just haven't had the right block to read, which was Olive Again, which is the sequel <gasps> to Olive, Olive Kittredge. Did you read Olive Kittredge? No, sorry, I'm, I'm holding out. Oh, you're going to love it so much. Yeah, I'm just holding out to annoy you now. It's one of those things. <laughs> um, I have no reason not to read it except to give me pleasure. Um, I re- it, it will give you so much pleasure, but but I just think for you to maximise pleasure, you need to save it for like a long flight when you're yeah, on your okay. own. Or you, you, it, be best to just be alone. It'll okay. be like a sumptuous, like just you know, if you were in a nice hotel room or something for a whole day, it would be fantastic. I rewatched um, Olive Kitteridge, the TV miniseries, just to refresh my memory because it's been a lot of years since I've watched um, since I'd read Olive Kitteridge, and the TV um, show starring Frances McDormand is a absolutely fantastic adaptation of the book. Yeah. Um, so Olive again basically picks up where Olive Kitteridge yep. leaves off, which is um, she's. Her husband Henry's died. Um, she is in a sort of relationship with this new dude, and she's still just the cranky sort of Olive that we know from the first book. If you liked Olive Kitteridge, and who would not, you will really like Olive again. It's it's just exactly Olive the same. again. <laughs> Olive gr- again. It's not great sort of sequel. They haven't put a lot of thought into that title, have they? Isn't there another famous book which is something again? Yeah, I'm sure there is. Um, mm. Anyway, I can't remember, but it's it's the same style which is it's almost like a series of short stories featuring different people in the town right. and Olive is a recurring character in all of them so you get this sort of very 360 degree view of Olive um, sometimes she's the central person sometimes she's not sometimes she's incidental um, anyway it was just bloody wonderful um, and I reread probably my all-time favorite novel A Fraction of the Whole oh. by Steve Tolts. So what Cause you to treat yourself with that book again? It's not like it's not a two-second book. It's lengthy. Because I lent it to a friend, oh. um, and he loved it and was talking about it, and it just reminded me. Oh yeah, I love that book so much. I haven't read it for a while, so I I just felt like you know what? It's just it's so funny and great. I just want to dive back into it, and I did, and it was, and uh, I love it. Wow, you don't do that very often, do you? Reread books. I do sometimes with a real favourite. Like I definitely would read Olive Kitteridge again. Yeah. Um, but it's got to be pretty special for me to want to go back. I mean, A Fraction of the Whole, I think that's the third or fourth time I've read it. I think I used to reread books a lot more, but um, now that I kind of, I don't know, I get sent books and things, which is the world's most jammy, bastard experience, and thank you everybody who ever sends books. But So I feel like I've got more of a lineup, and I don't, you know, I don't need to turn back for content. 
Fair enough. Mm. Um, one thing that I did recently was um, read another detective novel. Oh, what yeah. Would that be? Um, well, this one is um, uh, by a writer called Femi Coyote. Yeah. Um, and he's a Nigerian writer. And um, the book Light Seekers is about um, a, I think he's kind of like a um, forensic psychologist. And he gets contacted by um, a friend of his father's and his very respectful relationship with his father and this rich friend wants him to investigate what happened to his son. And his son was studying at a regional university and was murdered as part of a gang kind of attack in which three university students were killed. It was like a mob attack. And so the rich friend wants... um, Philip, who's the um, son and the and the sort of detective type character in the centre of the novel, to investigate what happened and why this mob um, murdered his son. And he goes into this, and and um, the murder happened in this sort of like quite you know frontier kind of southern part of Nigeria, which is like a um, bit of sort of lawlessness and quite a dangerous place to visit. So he goes there and he gets kind of deeply ensconced into the politics of the university students and these sort of um, fraternity groups in the university and their relationship with the surrounding townships. And it's kind of like, it's incredibly tense and there are mysteries that he doesn't understand that that sort of become horrifyingly clear as the novel progresses. It's um, really fantastically gripping um, detective novel mm-hmm. and um, so I'm quite proud of myself for getting through a detective novel because well it's done. not something that I um, normally am into but I just sort of picked it up and started reading it and then um, found Got myself hooked. yeah, being unable to do anything else. But um, the other thing was, um, you know that book that I read and enjoyed last year called Americana um, yes. by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, which is about a kind of expat Nigerian woman living in um, America, and she's writing a blog about the difference between um, uh, essentially being black in Africa and being black in America, like being African-American. Um, and it's a really good kind of... Um, I don't know, I found it really thought-provoking um, at, you know, the differing uh, role of race in experience in the two places that she lives. And I think that that's what also made me more interested in picking up Femi Coyote's book, which right. was, um, you know, completely different de- detective novel. But right. I think I can feel myself going on an African um, uh, liter- literature spree. Yeah, it's funny how you do go down this. Oh, yeah. totally, because then I went and picked up this book by um, a woman called Peace Adzo Medie called His Only Wife. And I think it's coming out very shortly or it's just it's out now in, in um, Australia, so it's very new. Um, and... She's a Ghanaian-American writer, but the book is about this fabulous character called Afi, who at the beginning of the book is marries a man who doesn't attend the wedding. She's in this kind of arranged marriage and she's marrying the wealthy son of her mother's employer right. in this sort of complicated family kind of master power move because the son has taken up with this woman of whom they don't approve and he's had a child with her their family all hate her and so they are marrying him off to this beautiful young woman in order to kind of bring him back into line and so the whole book is about her struggle with 
you know, making the best of this arranged marriage, which is in um, with this sort of highly desirable man who's only catches that he's kind of engaged with this other woman. Anyway, mm. it's um, that it's, sounds good. It's funny and um, uh, it's a kind of like a it's a kind of a feminist hero book, really. I guess. Yeah. Um, by any chance, have you read Life After Truth? I have. Um, I read that over the holidays. Is it? Is it? Caridwin um, Dovey. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed that. It's about um, a group of people. I love who... it when we read the right the same book at the same time. I know every now and again. Actually, over the summer we did do coincidentally quite a few of the same things. Um, it's a group of friends who are going back. I think they're all around age forty to a reunion. At, they went to Harvard. And yeah. they're going back for a reunion at Harvard, which it probably describe even just as I said that, I thought, oh, that makes it sound more cliched than it is because it's not at all. It's no. Um, and they're all quite different. Like they're friends, but, you know, one of them is this sort of like uh, famous actor. Um, actually, I thought it was, what was that book that everyone was reading a couple of years ago that's like you refused to read? What was it called? Oh, A Little Life. A Little Life, yeah, yeah. which um, is also about friends that met at university, this could yeah. not be more different. It's sort of, yeah. um, there's a lot less, you know, horrific abuse in it, for instance. But um, they're all quite different and they're kind of united by the fact that they all went to Harvard and then, but they've got different interactions with that experience. Like the couple that met at Harvard and now are kind of, you know, plugging along as, you know, um, small town teachers kind of come back with not exactly a chip on their shoulders, but sort of self-conscious about how they've, you know, had this extraordinary university experience and wound up, you know, um, not being a world famous actor or a banker or a, you know, not whatever. Rich else. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, so there's all but that. They're, kind but of... they're actually quite sort of happy in their relationship and they feel almost apologetic about it. Right, that. yeah, because <laughs> yeah. they feel like they should be, you know, quite yeah. as Should be a bit more are. interesting yeah, exactly. and have some, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was good. It, it, I definitely, I ripped through that sort of really quickly. Um, Two other things just quickly before I got to race off and pick up kids. Um, I had two things that I've watched on telly. One is The Undoing, which is that Nicole Kidman, Hugh Grant um, thing. Ever since you baited me by sending me a message saying, I'm really going to sit down and uh, watch this Kidman, Hugh Grant thing, I thought, (laughs) oh, God, I've got to get onto that. Um, Look, I, I, as you know, absolutely love Hugh Grant. I think he's fantastic and everything. So I loved it just to watch Hugh Grant. But it was just, it was sort of okay. Um, It it held my interest, but I wasn't like. Good popcorn? Um, what's it about? I can't remember what the... It's about, uh, they're very rich New Yorkers. He's a paediatric surgeon. She's a therapist. And they, a, a woman whose kid goes to the same school as their kid is found murdered. And mm-hmm. Hugh gets charged with the murder. And then oh. it's Nicole trying to figure out, well, did he do it? Did he not? Like, this is bizarre. So it's you're sort of following Nicole's journey as she tries to figure out, is her husband actually a murderer or not? Right. Um, and is he? No, no, don't give that away. Uh, anyway. Is it's, that based on a novel? It is, yeah. What's the no- sh- Can you remember what the novel's called? No. Nah. I've got a feeling I've read that novel. It might be called The Undoing. I don't know. Oh. Uh, so, it, look, it was okay. I didn't, didn't like it as much as I liked The Crown or... Um, what was the other thing? I watched a Bridgerton. Um, the other thing I watched, which I enjoyed too, was Your Honour, which is on Stan. Oh, right. Brian, I've heard something about that. Yeah, Brian Cranston from Breaking Bad. I, I would suspect if you're a Breaking Bad fan, you'll enjoy it purely for Brian Cranston because he's playing another character who's a good guy who's 
in a moral dilemma um, and is on the edge of, you know, and, and it, it raises questions about, well, you know, what does it take to turn a good guy bad and that kind of, those kind of questions. Right. Um, so same sort of terrain as Breaking Bad um, and it's got a pretty good sort of narrative drive and lots of twists and turns so it keeps you going. I found the first episode a bit hard going but from episode two it picks up. So, yeah, it was good. Oh, my God. I can't believe how much we've consumed over the last... Well, we have been, you know, not at work and on holidays yeah. and sitting by the pool while our kids... We've absolutely spaffed around. through it on the last couple of podcasts now. The cupboard's <laughs> yeah. bare. Now the cupboard is bare. <laughs> exactly. God. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, uh, I'll see you once I've read and watched some more stuff to talk about. Yeah, it's a date. <laughs> 